Greetings, everyone. From Japan. Not really, of course, but <clears throat> it's, uh, it's a nice image uh, given what I'm going to speak about today. I thought you might enjoy it. <clears throat> a temple in uh, Tokyo. So a few more people are arriving. So let's, uh, let's begin our sitting together. Imagine the big bells being rung.
as we sit, you might simply allow your attention to rest on your breath. Nothing more is really needed. Even one breath with full intimacy is the wholeness of our meditation. Receiving the world on the in-breath, releasing on the out-breath. Whatever the words or sentiment, taking in the world and offering yourself back. Just this simple breath meditation that Donna Martin taught me. It's enough. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. It's wonderful to see all of you, and I see some of you in small groups, like Darren Lancaster. I think, oh, they can hear each other chant. It's so nice, hear each other's voice.
part of the reason uh, that I I'm sitting in the in the background is because I wanted to do something a, a little different uh, today in a way. It's basically been six months since um, we completed Peg and I completed the Dharma transmission ceremonies. Um, and I wanted to reflect a little bit on the, um, the teachings of Shunryu Suzuki Roshi, who was the, as we know, the, the, the teacher around whom the San Francisco Zen Center uh, grew, although that's not wasn't his intention or what he started to do. So I'm just going to offer some some small reflections as a way to um, bring to life really the chant that we just did, and th these were reflections, you know, of an old teacher that I never met. Um, but he was the teacher that my root teacher studied with. And so these, you know, the words are like echoes that come from the past, because he's been gone for 50 years, 51 years, coming up. And this is an interesting uh, piece of information, if you don't know, a piece of trivia. The group who ended up being the San Francisco Zen Center, starting from just a few hippies, it's uh, Sokiji, the, the Japanese temple that he started when he was attending to the Japanese population in San Francisco, then to City Center. They had him for a total of 12 years. That's all. So an interesting number of years. And look what came out of those few years because of what is students carried forward. So these small moments I want to share are expressions of a traditional Zen master speaking to American students mostly, but strangely uh, the words seem fresh, not ancient, because he was this bridge between the Asian monastic system and um, the Western arrival of Zen, among many. He was just one of those those roots. And now we are the bridge that keeps the practice alive and vital at this time. And that's our responsibility as it was for him. I, I do want to tell one of my own stories. All the ones I'm going to reflect on are not mine. And this is one that many of you have heard, but I, it's really important, I think, to be reminded of it. When I was fortunate to go with um, and Blanche and also Mel Weitzman to Japan for a month to practice together. We ended up going to Eheji and Sojiji, the two main temples of the Soto sect. And when we were at Eheji, which is the Dogen's temple that he, he founded, we were introduced when we arrived to uh, Matsunaga Roshi, who was the head of international relations for the Soto Zen at that time. And he had known Suzuki Roshi. They, they had been not exactly contemporaries because he was, Matsunaga was still alive, but they knew each other at Eheji. And so there were about 18 of us in the group and we went, we met him and did some formalities. Then we went to sit in the Zendo. So we're all sitting on a, a ton, one of the raised platforms on, the, on our cushions facing the wall. And we're sitting there for a bit like we just were in, in silence. And then I could, we could hear the door open but we're facing the wall. And so at the end of this long line that we're sitting in at the time, I could see out of the corner of my eye, trying to remain <laughs> upright and still, you know, I see someone come in and it was Matsunaga. And he said in English, when Shunryu Suzuki left Japan in 1959 and came to the United States and then began to meet with American students, the, the hippies and the everything that happened in the 60s and 70s in um, San Francisco. He said, I could not understand what he was doing. You know, from his perspective, it didn't make any sense. And he paused and he said, today, I see what he was doing. 
And then silently he left. Us weeping. <laughs> English was a second language. Think about this. Imagine that you're 55 years old. You've lived in one culture all your life. And suddenly you're transported to Japan. And you have to learn this language, which is a completely different kind of language, and then teach and work with Japanese students in their language. That's what he did coming this way. It's really remarkable. You, you, you feel his constancy. And so he uses English in a little different way sometimes, although the little vignettes I'm going to offer are um, edited a bit. And the funny thing is, as he speaks, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like he's saying something I've always known somewhere inside, but I'd have the words to say. Maybe he was speaking from the borrowed voices of his American students at that time, you know. But this voice goes straight to our hearts. Sometimes with humor, he's very funny and insight. And sometimes with a, a surprisingly powerful but gentle kind of confrontation. Uh, sometimes with invitation and encouragement, all, always with compassion and truth. So I've chosen, I know this sounds like a lot, they're small, 27 little tiny vignettes out of like 150 or whatever in the book, which was originally titled To Shine One Corner of the Universe. And I'll tell you what that is later. Um, which, because there's a new title now, if you order it on Amazon, it's called Zen is Right Here. Um, and I'm going to put them, these 27, in the context of the verse of the robe that we just chanted. You know, most of the time we do three bows. As he was developing his students in San Francisco, the students said, um, you know, why do we do three bows? And he said, oh, I don't know, it's traditional, but since, you know, Americans are a little more stubborn, I think we should do nine. And so, to this day, in morning service, we do nine bows in San Francisco and also at Austin Zen Center and some of the traditional temples of that. So today we're going to do three times nine. We do 27. Um, and that's part of why I'm in this visual context. Um, I love the great bell. It's a beautiful one. Huh? And I don't know if you can see uh, my finger pointing over here. The, there's a piece of wood that's sideways. That's actually the giant thing that you pull and that rings the bell. It's on a rope. So here's a story about the verse of the robe. Uh, the English translation that I learned, great robe of liberation, field far beyond form and emptiness, wearing the Tathagata's teaching, saving all beings. In Japanese. So in, this, in the 60s, when they started out, they would only chant Japanese because that's all they had. And nobody knew what it meant. There was no translation. So one day, one of the students went to Suzuki Roshi and says, what's the meaning of that chant that we do right after Zaza? And he was there with Katagiri, who was young then. He was, uh, was in Katagiri Roshi, you know. He was a, a teaching assistant for Suzuki. So he was like his straight man, kind of, you know. So this student said, what does this mean? I, I don't know the meaning of it. And Suzuki Roshi said, I don't know. And so Katagiri goes over to the desk and drawer, opens the drawer and starts trying to find a translation. And finally, Suzuki gestures for him to stop. And he turns to the student and says, it's love. That's the meaning. So this is where we began, the verse of the robe. It's love. And the first line in our translation, vast is the robe of liberation. A student asked Suzuki, what is nirvana? He said, seeing one thing through to the end. 
seeing one thing through to the end, complete, in other words, complete intimacy, complete immersion, complete completeness. Seeing one thing through to the end, including, of course, your own life and the life around you. Another student asked one time, why do we have 40 minute Zazen periods? So when I was training, all of those Zazen periods were 40 minutes. He said, why do we have 40 minute Zazen periods when most Zen teachers in America only have 30? So my legs really hurt when I said for 40 minutes. <laughs> Won't you consider having 30 minute periods, at least for Sashin, you know, during the intensive? And Suzuki said, well, it's, a, it's very interesting. I had been thinking maybe we should do 50 minute periods. But then he waited a minute and he said, but maybe we should compromise. Let's do 40. <laughs> this is the kind of the way he was funny, you know. One time somebody asked him at breakfast, um, they were drinking coffee and having their breakfast and a student said, uh, what is hell? And Suzuki said, having to read out loud in English <laughs> for him. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great response because it's funny and it's light, but it actually shows some of his vulnerability. You know, there's something truth, true about it. And then another student asked the kind of question that gets everybody's attention. You know, they stop because the student said, Roshi, I have a lot of sexual desire I'm thinking of becoming celibate. Should I try to limit myself in this way? So then everybody waits. <laughs> and he says, well, you know, sex is like brushing your teeth. It's a good thing to do, but not so good to do it all day long. <laughs> so he gives people a lot of latitude and yet containment, you know. Vast is the robe of liberation. A formless field of benefaction. A student filled with emotion, weeping, comes to him and says, why is there so much suffering? Many of you have felt this, you know, when you kind of open to this, why is there so much suffering? And he said, no reason. Why? No answer to that quite well. No reason. This is, this is the way it is. And another student asked, does a Zen master suffer in a different way than his students suffer? And he said, in the same way, if not, I don't think the teacher is good enough. You know, we're all in this together in exactly the same way. One of the, the students asked him one time why the Japanese made their teacups. I guess they had some beautiful porcelain cups or something. He said, why do they make the teacups so thin and delicate and they break so easily? He said, you know, it's not that they're too delicate, but that you don't know how to handle them. You must adjust yourself to the environment, not vice versa. And this was, this is the great teaching, of course. In the West, we think of adjust the environment so we'll be comfortable. Instead of find your way to meet the environment in the, in the fullest possible way. So that it's not damaged. He, <laughs> I love this one. He, one day during a tea break, there was a student standing next to, uh, this was not a formal tea break in Sushin, and just a regular tea break. And some, one of the students was standing next to him and said, so what do you think about all of us crazy, you know, American Zen students? He says, I think you're all enlightened until you open your mouth. But it's such a great teaching because he realizes that everyone's nature is exactly the same and enlightenment is what he's seeing. 
And then all the conditioning comes rushing forward. Um, and it's, I'm sure it didn't um, dissuade or break or disturb his understanding of their perfection. But as a, as a teacher, you know, it's like, oh, okay. But the other side of that is during a break at one of the sessions at Tassajara at the monastery, the student said, I was standing on the bridge overlooking the creek. So in one of the pathways through Tassajara, it's a long valley. Uh, the creek goes across and cuts through the valley and goes to the other side of the dining hall. And there's this beautiful bridge. Uh, it has some seats on it you can sit on. He said, I, was, I stood on the bridge overlooking the creek. It was a beautiful fall day, he said, and the leaves on the trees were all vibrant and alive, and I could see energy coursing through everything. It looked like one of Ed's photos, you know. And Suzuki Roshi came by, and he looked in my eyes, and he said, stay exactly like that. So yes, he could see the conditioning, but he could also see the wakefulness, just like we see in each other. And we see it here, you know, in inquiry and other places. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. So wearing the universal teaching, how do we wear it? What does it look like? One day, uh, once again at Tassajara, he was with a bunch of students um, and they gathered up their tools and walked up a hot dusty trail to work on a project. Now in the Ventana wilderness, by the way, where Tassajara is, it's pretty dry. A lot of fires and it's that scrubby, those of you who've been on the coast in California, you know how it is in the mountains, it can be really scrubby and dry. And um, they were working on a project, they may have been doing a fire break or they could have been working on the ashes site. There's a beautiful, um, on the top of a, a knoll high above the, the monastery is where Suzuki Roshi's ashes are, and also some of Trumpa's ashes are there. It's a beautiful place. But when they got to the top of this area where they were going to work, they discovered that they'd forgotten a shovel. They needed a shovel for the work. And so the students began this discussion about who should return and go get it. And they finished their discussion, they turned around, and Suzuki Roshi wasn't there. He was already halfway down the mountain to get the shovel. This is the spirit. Do what's needed. Now, just respond with ease and freedom. A woman once told him that uh, she found it really difficult to mix Zen practice with the demands of being a housewife. And the way she said it, she said, I feel like I'm climbing always trying to climb a ladder, but for every step upward, I slip back two steps. Some of you may have felt this housewife or not. And he said, forget the ladder. And Zen, everything is right here on the ground. Right here on the ground. This is not, this is not progression. This is not step ladder Zen. You need the shovel, go get the shovel. It's a wonderful cheeky one. One time Suzuki Roshi was being driven back to San Francisco from Los Altos. Now, historically, you know, Los Altos is close on the peninsula, and it was a small sitting group, mostly of women, like these housewives, so to speak. This is the 60s. And the um, talks he gave in that little living room, basically, were recorded, and those are the talks that became Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Those talks were not given at San Francisco Zen Center. They were given in this tiny little group. So this person who told the story said, I asked him if there was much hope for that handful of middle-aged suburban housewives to accomplish anything as Zen students. After all, the speaker thought, said, they only sat once a week, and those of us at City Center, you know, were practicing fully. And Suzuki said, well, you know, I think their understanding is actually pretty good. They don't seem to suffer from arrogance.
So a kindly uh, Kyosaku, <laughs> the stick. And then the reference to the way this collection was originally titled. Uh, he would sometimes make this point. He said in the Lotus Sutra, Buddha says to light up one corner of the, not the whole world. Just make it clear where you are. Do your work where you are. Be who you are. Vast is the role of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, ah, I realize the one true nature. I realize the one true nature. I think Lori's actually going to be teaching on this in a certain way, coming up, just announced today. <laughs> so this student said, um, I had Dokusan, which I spoke about last week with Suzuki during Sushin, and he said, I felt lost and far from home at that point. I know a lot of you have come to me and with each other in that way, in a dark place in my life. And I asked him if Big Mine was lost in the dark too, you know, when, when she was lost. And he said, no, not lost in the dark, We're working in the dark. And then she said he, he began to move his arms around, demonstrating. He said it was like the many armed statues of Avalokiteshvara, you know, with a thousand arms. And he made the statue come to life for a moment. You may feel lost, but big mind is not lost. It's working in the dark. So you can have confidence, as I was speaking about. But sometimes we get distracted. He, in another Dokusan, another student said um, he complained to Suzuki that he was thinking too much. You know, he couldn't stop his thinking. And Suzuki said, what's wrong with thinking? On the other hand, another student got discouraged because he was experiencing these expanded higher states, he called them, but they always went away. You know, like everything else, when you get high, you always come down. So. <laughs> and... Uh, so he said, what's the use? And Suzuki laughed and said, that's right. No use. All these states come and go. But if you continue your practice, you find there's something underneath. The, the higher states aren't the deal. Those come and go. What's deeper? What's underneath? And that may seem a little abstract. On the ground, um, one day, and I think it was actually Ed Brown who had told the story, he said, I complained to Suzuki Roshi about the people I was working with in the kitchen. Ed complained a lot, but you know, a lot of people in the kitchen were not meeting his expectations. And Suzuki said he, he, uh, he listened very intently, and he said back, if you want to see virtue, you have to have a calm mind. If you want to see virtue, you have to have a calm mind. During the, another question and answer period, at the end of a long, uh, well, a session lecture anyway, someone asked Suzuki Roshi, he said, here I sit, it's the end of session, you know, they've been sitting for a week, energized and thinking there's so much power in this practice. And some of you felt this, you know, and Suzuki Roshi said quickly, don't use it. Don't make it into a thing, another commodity that you have created. Don't use it. Rest in it. Let it use you, you know, Vast is the role of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being, thus harmonizing all being, not beings, 
harmonizing all being. One time in a lecture, he said, we should practice Zazen like someone who is dying. For that person, there's nothing to rely on. When you reach this kind of understanding, you'll not be fooled by anything. You're not attached to anything, won't be fooled by anything. There's a, a lot of teaching in, in that. It's also some of what I'll be teaching in, in the Madison retreat in November. Sometimes we do realize things, and in a retreat with two enthusiastic young guys, one of them asked Suzuki Roshi how to maintain the extraordinary states he'd attained. It's, again, you know, I get these extraordinary things, what do I do? And Suzuki said, concentrate on your breathing and they'll go away. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they won't bother you anymore, just concentrate on your breathing. Another student said, as I was um, telling Suzuki Roshi about the disaster that my life had become, he began to chuckle. And I began to laugh along with him, he said, and there was a pause. And I asked him what I should do, you know, same thing you guys ask. And he said, is it Zazen? He said, life without Zazen is like winding your clock but not setting it. It runs perfectly, but it doesn't tell time. And he elaborated this more during a formal question answer ceremony in Shoshan. I think I mentioned that, you know, the formal uh, public kind of question answer. He responded to his student's question and the student got up from his bow and started to leave. But as he turned to leave, Suzuki added really slow and deliberately, the most important thing. And by the way, if you've read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, you know, there's like, I can't tell, hundred ways he says, the most important thing, you know, different, they're all different. The most important thing is to find out what is the most important thing. And what is that for you? That's what we come to inquiry with. Since there was so many, once again, wild people in the 60s in the Bay Area, an older woman, and by the way, there, there were a lot of very mature women who sat with Suzuki Roshi. Uh, Della uh, Gertz was one of them. She was still alive when I started practicing and she would sit in the gaitan in the, the hallway before you go into the zendo because she couldn't sit on a cushion, but there were chairs. This little tiny woman would sit there. I asked, who, who is that? And then I saw old pictures from the 60s in the very beginning and Della had been there since day one. She, she died a couple of years after I started. But a, an older woman asked Suzuki Roshi if he felt any pressure and difficulty with the various, you know, kind of ragged, long-haired students, basically off the street, you know, who came seeking enlightenment. And he said, I'm very uh, grateful for them. I will do all I can for them. Which, and you are not so uh, ragged and off the street, but that sentiment really touches me. It's the way I feel. I'm very grateful for you. I'll do all I can for you. And being a psychologist, a clinical psychiatrist once asked Suzuki Roshi about consciousness. You know, what he thought about consciousness. And Suzuki said, I don't know anything about consciousness. I just try to teach my students how to hear the birds sing. Number 27, I 
I think this is actually Yvonne Rand. It doesn't say, but I'm pretty sure that's who this was. She said, I went up to Suzuki's room not long before his death because she was caring for him. <clears throat> he was in bed, extremely weak, she said, and his skin was discolored. He had a, um, a cancer um, that was associated with his gallbladder and his liver, so he's jaundiced. And she said he bowed, even though he's weak, and I did the same. Then he looked right at me and said, in his very weak voice, don't grieve for me. Don't worry. I know who I am. And this is your task to begin to know who you are, what this is, who we are. In the overleaf of this book, there's a quote that David Chadwick put in from a um, an, um, a writer, um, Carl Buchner, that said, they may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So what is it that you notice now as we've gone through? It's a lot of teachings, but as we just move through it, vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. The teachings all, all open. That thing he said, it's, it's just love, you know. Is there anything you, <clears throat> you want to bring forward? Hello, Flynn. Hello. Everybody. That's funny you ask the question because right at the beginning when we began, you began to to talk, I thought, oh, uh, I I know why I am became a Buddhist, and I, I am I am there, and I will be, and you you let us see a world in which I want to live, uh. in which I want to to be, and to and I feel. It, I feel uh, safe, deeply safe. I know there is, I know there is illness and old age and death. It's not at all idealistic, but the presence of love is so, so important. And to give and to to receive, <laughs> that just makes the opposite. Yeah, and after a moment, I realized that, yes, give and receive and no more separate. Can I say that like that? Yes. It's just going freely. And I think I never, I am. I'm an old lady now, I'm 77, and I never saw the world this way, and I never experienced this deep security of who I am, and what is it, what it is to live. So, that's what I wanted to say, but it was very strong. It came, it came suddenly, and it's, it's landing very strong in me. I have tears in my eyes. It's very strong. What you're saying makes everything worthwhile. And you know, my daughter is gone, and I have her dogs. And it's always something like a burden. Oh, three dogs and on. And this time, they are all finding their place, and I make a place for each of them. And it's absolutely easy. They are dogs, they are not human beings, but it's such a, a deep shift. So, thank you very much. You know who you are. Thank you. And thank you all. As it requires everyone. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. 
Hi, Flint. Um, and it's um, probably just a repeat of what Claudine said, but I, I think it's worth repeating. And just to say thank you for keeping us well cared for, well fed, well informed, and um, well inspired. Nothing else I'd rather do. And you do it well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for meeting. If you don't show up, it doesn't happen. There you go. Aloha. Aloha. Hi, Lisa. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can. When I saw you come originally, when we first opened the door today, I saw you, I thought, oh, Lisa's going to raise her hand. I hope she is. Well, I feel really teary. I'm very surprised um, to be back here. Mm -hmm. I haven't been here for quite a long time. Yeah, that's that's what I noticed. Yeah. And... Um, so I had a small cardiac event back in April. Oh. Nothing really serious, just um, something called a flutter, a little bit like a flib, a fib, and possibly related to valve repairs during my auto accident of 12 years ago. Right. But what that led to was concern about me having a stroke. So I had to get on these stupid medications, one of which I've gotten off, but I'm, my, my body is just overall very, very sensitive to yeah. a lot of things, including pharmaceuticals. Um, yeah. So I literally, you know, could barely function. I, lost all interest in a lot of things. And I had no energy, you know, to come forth on Tuesdays. And at the same time, I mean, all of a sudden my meditation practice stopped. I literally, I was so, the side effects of this medication are so profound that I could like saying, well, you can't breathe anymore. I mean, it's like a, it was a loss of a, of a function, bodily function in a way. So today, huh? What brought you today? Yeah. Well, I experienced a huge amount of grief and, um, I thought I'll never be back. And I thought it's odd to, how do you know when to say goodbye? Um, yeah. How do you know? You just say goodbye and you, you're gone, but you don't know when it's happening. Anyhow, what brought you today, getting me back focused is just being so determined, um, so determined that I don't feel alive in the way I want to. I'm behaving in ways I, you know, I'm not being the person I, I enjoy being <laughs> when I come here to inquiry and am involved in my practice. It's like, um, even if just the way I want to be, it's like the connection is really important. Uh, the community is really important. No matter what other practices I I try to compensate with. Um, I don't know. I've had to do a lot of things to get myself to where I could show up today. Because I guess I didn't want to give it up. How about that? I wasn't, I'm not ready to give up regardless of the opposite. Don't give up. That's enough. You're ready. If you are ready to say goodbye at some point, if the goodbye comes, or if my goodbye comes, if one of our goodbyes comes because we are passing, then I'm I'm willing to meet yours. Are you willing to meet mine? Yeah. Okay. And until then, let's just keep going. 
Thank you, Flint. Thank you, Sangha. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes uh, I'm going to just say this as you're sometimes you can't do much. And it's like the day I brought the incensor to you in the wheelchair because you couldn't get up. That's what today is. I didn't hear what you said. Sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to say, and it's okay. It's okay to grieve for the loss of this community, for the loss of being able to be present and still be alive. I mean, if I were dead and not present, it'd be fine. <laughs> but being alive and not being able to be present, you know what I mean? That's different. It like, is different. It's actually harder. <laughs> <laughs> and and being able to grieve means you're alive. Mm. That's part of aliveness. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. I'm glad to be here today. And that's it. Good. I'm glad we didn't miss that part. Thank you. Oh, hi, hi Flint. Um, yeah, and thank you, Lisa, for the grieving, because I'm, I'm sort of uh, a little bit in that space, maybe more than that. Um, yeah, and it's just, um, well, first of all, thank you for all those little anecdotes. I, I appreciate Suzuki Roshi's humor and his giggles, and it's, it's just, it's helpful. Um, two things um so the grieving is just about when i'm not doing the job that i have been doing for a long time and i'm just realizing how dependent i've been on it being me like that's me you go to the identity well, yeah like what do you do well I, well yeah i'm a therapist and um and um yeah just sometimes it feels um well, yeah, like, well, who am I? And and I don't know in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, I do know, but... Um, well, that's the koan. When you no longer say, when I no longer say, I am a therapist, that I don't identify as that, that's a function that I may have done well and for a long time, but it's a function of this, what is this that functioned as that. That's the sin, that's the backward step. That's the turn that you're doing in your practice. Yeah. And what I'm amazed at in this moment is how much calmer I am than when we were sitting and while Lisa was speaking. And and um I think just hearing the stories, hearing you relate them and relating them to us as our teacher and saying when the student asked him, um, what, or yeah, the older woman, I think, what about these bedraggled hippies? And he said, I will do everything that I can. They're very important to me. And when you said that to us, That's that it. was that was very, very special. And uh, I don't want to leave anything out. I want to give you everything. It means so much. Um, yeah. And just being here and um, uh it, acknowledging that what what i'm experiencing is part of this whole thing it's not me and my and i think that's what happens with me when i when i'm making a change or a change happens it closes up and it's me and i have to figure it out and and this is a, a challenge to that way and yeah. it's helpful well, and that's why in the meditation, uh, and each person who's spoken really has demonstrated a little bit of this breath meditation. Taking in the world, offering it back, taking it in, letting it go. That, there's, that's the only cycle we're in. It's exactly what you just gestured and what you're talking about. And then when it's over, as Lisa said, then no problem which is actually another Suzuki Roshi story. Well, I liked that part when he said, you know, like act, if you act like you are dead, you know, like, or, or dying, you, you're very freed. And yeah. that was kind of an interesting yeah. thing to think Someone, someone asked me one time, what is Zazen? He said, you know, when you're sitting and you're breathing in that exhale down at the bottom where everything is still for a moment, he said like that. And then, 
If you're alive, you'll breathe in. And if you're not, no problem. Thank you. Thank you. Always for your steadiness. Thank you. I have yeah. lightning round with Sue and Chris. Two minutes, two people. Okay. Sue. Well, thank you, Flint. Really appreciate this. And at the beginning, when you said, this is all things that when I hear it, I think, yeah, somewhere deep in me, I know that. And that just kept happening over and over and over. And the second thing is, it was very touching to watch how your talk touched you. You could just feel how deep that that was. And thank you for sharing yourself in that way with us. I don't know another way, so thank you for receiving me that way. Thank you. Hey, Chris. There you go. Does it work? I think, yes. Yep, yep, got it. So I just wanted to quickly say, I, I went to a concert of the, the Blind Boys of Alabama on Friday night here at UMass. And at one point, you know, these are really old men. And at one point, or at several points, one of them would get so taken up that he would jump out of his chair and somebody would have to come and lead him back to his chair because I think they were afraid he'd have a heart attack. And the audience was standing and singing and clapping and in the middle of all this noise i mean this loud loud you know stuff i thought it wasn't that i thought i experienced this is zen this is zen and i felt you there and i felt everybody else to come to inquiry there and i knew it was exactly the same thing yeah thank you it just reminds me when my dear friend um, Steve Stuckey, who was abbot of San Francisco Zen Center, he died a few years ago of pancreatic cancer. Mm. And his, he wrote his death poem, and then afterward he put in a line from Blind Lemon Johnson. Oh. Mm -hmm. I, basically, I don't mind dying, I just hate to see my children crying. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, but I understand the spirit you're talking about, and that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Let's intone the four practice principles together, okay? Pause in the self-centered self -centered dream. dream, only suffering. Holding self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream, each moment, Life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and your support makes a huge difference. There's a link for contributions on the website and I have just posted it in the chat as well. Um, and a very happy birthday to Sheila Fling. She's here today and it's her birthday. Thank you all. Stay after if you can. I'm going to hand the controls over to Maria. Bye-bye. <laughs>